the Supremes there. I hear a symphony. You are and in your face on 3CR with James. Our guests today are Rodney Croom, Ricky Spencer and Kevin Clare joins us. But we do have Rodney Croom from Just Equal on the line. Rodney, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Thanks for having me on. Always great to chat. Rodney, the federal government's jobs summit is underway. How inclusive is it of LGBTIQA plus issues? Well, not nearly as inclusive as it could be. Um, the initial issues paper for the summit that came out uh, a number of weeks ago didn't include LGBTIQA plus people at all. Uh, and that was very disappointing because, of course, as many of your listeners would be aware, LGBTIQA plus people fa- face higher than average levels of discrimination and harassment in the workplace. Um, according to recent surveys, uh, over half of us keep our sexuality or gender identity to ourselves in the workplace. We don't come out because of fear of discrimination, so we can't be our full selves at work. Um, And there are still pieces of federal legislation that uh, allow discrimination against us. For instance, the Sex Discrimination Act allows uh, faith-based organisations to discriminate against LGBTIQA plus people, even though that no, is no longer the case in state laws in Tasmania, Victoria and the ACT. Um, and there's also the Fair Work Act, which doesn't uh, sufficiently protect trans or intersex people from discrimination in the workplace. So there's a number of issues there, and we were disappointed that they weren't mentioned in the issues paper. We uh, wrote to the government and we raised it publicly, and we were pleased that the Treasurer, who um, is officing the summit, Jim Chalmers, said uh, publicly that uh, workplace discrimination against LGBTIQA plus people was an issue for the government, um, a high priority, and they wanted to make sure it was addressed. But then, unfortunately, when the guest list for the summit came out just a few days ago, there were no LGBTI community community representatives or organisations invited to the summit. There was no one there specifically to address our concerns. And so... We um, scrambled uh, at the last minute to contact the ACTU, the Business Council and various state premiers, asking them to raise our issues if they could. Uh, I don't know if that's happened or not. I haven't seen any reporting on it. I hope at least there's been some discussion. So what happened, Rodney? What are your sources telling you about the dynamics that led to Jim Chalmers basically being shuttled on this issue, you know, scuttled, you know? Um, not There must have been something at work that, that meant that... Was it the Prime Minister? Did he override the Treasurer? Look, uh, I, James, I can't say. I don't know what was happening within the government. Um, I don't know if it was a decision, decision by Jim Chalmers' office to not include us or if it was higher up chain, the Prime Minister, for instance, um, I really don't know. What makes it particularly disappointing, though, is that there were a, a range of other uh, a range of other representatives invited from um, social groups that also experience higher than average rates of workplace harassment and discrimination, including people with disability, uh, women, Indigenous people, uh, single mothers, uh, ethnic groups. Uh, it was it was basically everyone else. And um, that made our absence from the summit even more conspicuous um, and even more disappointing. Uh, We've seen uh, coverage of Dylan Alcott talking about the workplace issues that people with disability face, and that is fantastic that he's in there talking about that and that those issues are front and centre. 
but it's just so disappointing that the government almost seemingly deliberately excluded similar voices from the LGBTIQA plus community. I mean, you mentioned some issues that Labor seemed to have difficulties with in the last term of of government, issues they skirted around, like queer teachers, for example, trans issues. Do you think we're, we're seeing them not wanting to kind of, you know, visit those issues because it's worried about digging them up again politically? Uh, it's almost as if Scott Morrison's government did a damn good job of gaslighting us and uh, Elbow's scared to go there. Sometimes it does feel like the ghost of Scott Morrison is still haunting Labor policy, yes. Um, that said, I, I mean, I want to give credit to, for instance, to Tony Burke, uh, who um, we have lobbied in the past on this issue of, of the Fair Work Act uh, and who uh, has shown a great deal of support for including trans intersex people uh, Within that act, so that there's no longer, so that it, that act uh, protects them in the workplace, uh, as it protects others. Um, and he has made a statement coming out of the Jobs and Skills Summit, which, while not specific to that issue, would allow that to be the case. So the door is open there, I hope, to that reform in the future. But certainly on the issue of faith-based schools, um, yes, it doesn't seem like the government wants to go anywhere near that. Uh, even before the election, as you said, uh, and in dealing with the Morrison government's religious discrimination bill, the Labor Party was very ambivalent about protecting LGBTIQA plus teachers in faith-based schools. Um, there was some discussion about, in the future, uh, when they entered government, as they have done, um, shuffling that off to the Australian Law Reform Commission, uh, delaying it further which would be completely unnecessary. It's very clear-cut what needs to happen. Like I said, it's already the case that teachers are protected in a number of states, so why not just do the same at a federal level? Um, And when the uh, vote took place on the religious discrimination bill in the House of Representatives before it was pulled by the Morrison government in the Senate in February this year, the Labor Party actually voted to override those existing state protections, which was extremely distressing. I can tell you, for teachers in Tasmania who have been protected from that discrimination for 25 years and suddenly um, it looked like they might lose it. Uh, So, yeah, the Labor Party has a mixed record on this issue and uh, I think it's fair to assume they didn't want it raised at this summit. I mean, it's such a lost opportunity, isn't isn't it? I mean, look, you know, we saw, for instance, during the election campaign, the incredible inequalities and stigma and discrimination the trans community faces. And, of course, many trans people uh, have to leave their jobs when they transition, they're discriminated against. Uh, It seems a no-brainer that issues like that should be covered in the job summit. Yes, you're quite right. Trans... uh, for the LGBTIQA plus community in general, there are higher rates of discrimination in the workplace. And for trans people, uh, it's much, much higher than that. So there's a particular issue there, and trans people in general are being hammered in public debate in Australia unnecessarily, unfairly, every day on issues like um, trans women's participation in sport or access to services or or uh, young people and their access to, um, to uh, affirming treatment or, or whatever it might be. Um, And uh, you would think that a newly elected Labor government would see that happening um, and and go, well, we need to send a positive message to trans Australians that they belong, that we support.
support them that we will be there for them. Um, th- that's a, such a simple thing to do. That, that's what the Biden administration did. Uh, before he was elected, Joe Biden was was uh, regularly affirming trans-Americans, saying, we're here for you. He was elected, and he did just that. He enacted protections for trans people at a federal level. Um, it would be so easy, for the, you would think, for the Albanese government to do that by, for instance, amending the Fair Work Act uh, to protect trans, gender diverse and intersex people equally. Um, it's an omission that everyone agrees needs to be fixed. Uh, like I said, ministers like Tony Burke back it. Why doesn't it happen? Why isn't it discussed? Why wasn't it brought up at this summit? Why, seemingly, was it deliberately excluded? It really is bewildering that this government can't send even that simple positive message to trans folk in Australia. We will protect you from workplace discrimination. Yeah, I mean, there was Stephen Bates from the Greens. He tried to get an LGBTIQ commissioner up. Uh, Of course, Shorten took a very comprehensive suite of queer policies to the previous election. Uh, Of course, they lost that one. It's almost as if they are running scared. But, Rodney, I'm surprised that none of the speakers at this summit, when they've had the microphone, uh, or perhaps they have, have have tried to raise LGBTIQ issues. I mean, there's one thing about it not being programmed, but surely, you know, when you've got the mic, you can segue into it and find a way. I mean, they're pretty learned people, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they are, um, and they're used to doing this. And, and like I said, we contacted both the ACTU and the Business Council, uh, asking them to do that. And in fairness, they may have done, and I'm not aware of that. Um, uh, what I can say is there hasn't been any reporting of that. Um, and it's a good point that you made about uh, the push for an LGBTIQA plus human rights commissioner at the Australian Human Rights Commission, because, of course, one of the jobs of that commissioner would be to uh, educate about the need for workplace um, inclusion and equity. That would uh, A big part of their job would be to receive complaints about workplace discrimination and to propose solutions to that, including amending legislation and including uh, educating um, uh, education programs for workplaces. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have that commissioner. Um, the... We have a commissioner for uh, sex discrimination, race discrimination, age discrimination, young people, indigenous human rights, but not for LGBTIQA plus people. Good on Stephen Bates for raising that in the House of Representatives. And I understand that this coming week, uh, likely Tuesday, it'll come up in the Senate. Uh, and um, I hope that, uh, obviously, I hope the government will support that. It seems unlikely. Um, but uh, at least the issue will be raised and uh, at least we'll be able to discuss the need for some action uh, on our human rights and inclusion. After, after years, James, after years of being kicked around, um, as we have been as a community uh, under the previous government, from the completely unnecessary postal survey to the attack on trans inclusion, to um, the attack on discrimination protections under under cover of so-called religious freedom. Um, It really is a responsibility of an incoming government like this one to send a message that it supports us and that it believes that we have the same rights and it wants to uphold the same level of dignity for us as other Australians. That's a simple message to send and it's so disappointing that hasn't happened yet. I know that there's a lot of excuses for that 
they've got important things that they need to urgently address. They're a new government. They'll come to us eventually. Um, I wish I could believe those excuses. Uh, it doesn't feel like they're going to come to us at all. Well, I mean, that's a bit like, you know, the, the theme of kicking the can down the road that we've seen so often on LGBTIQ issues at the federal government level, regardless of who's in power, you know, whether it was Turnbull or, you know, even the Gillard government, the Rudd government. Of course, Morrison was was terrible. But, I mean, Elbow's just celebrated 100 days of, of being Prime Minister and this job summit's kind of, you know, revolving a bit around that. Obviously, the timing's no coincidence. But how would you rate his first 100 days on LGBTIQ issues? It doesn't sound like you'd rate him very highly. On a scale of 1 to 10, um, <laughs> yeah, well, zero. Wow. And, and that's because nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. I mean, I the, the, even the promises they made before the election, which were very minimal compared, say, to the promises that were made by Labor before the previous federal election, um, we haven't seen any action on any of those. Um, and the opportunities that have been there to send a positive message, like in the, the summit, the Jobs and Skills Summit, uh, or on the appointment of an LGBTIQA plus commissioner, um, or on the issue of blood donation, or on the issue of inclusion in the census, or it just goes on and on and on. <laughs> um, not a word. Not a word. Um, it is so disappointing. And like I said, I understand that people will say, well, they've yet to come to us. Um, they've got a lot of things to do, or um, uh, you know the, the 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 issues that that we're talking about are complex ones. Um, yeah, that might be true, but you'd think that the government would do something to send a positive message, even if it was just to convene um, a, a roundtable of LGBTIQA plus representatives in Canberra to say this is our plan, this is what we intend to do, and we want to work with you to do it. Even something as simple as that hasn't happened. So is there any legislation they could pass that they were making all the right noises about when they were in opposition that they could act on quite quickly that would, would, would be a real gesture and a positive you know, way forward for this government on queer issues? If we're talking about the, the simplest issue, um, then I think we could probably go back to the amendment of the Fair Work Act um, and the inclusion of trans of provisions to protect transgender, gender diverse and intersex people from discrimination. That's so simple. That provision is already there protecting people on the grounds of race, um, uh, sex, sexual orientation. It just needs to add a few words and there you have a positive sign about protecting people from discrimination. Um, it's the kind of thing that you would expect from a Labor government, protecting workers in the workplace. Um, it's hard to see what the objection to that would be, given that it's treating everyone equally. Um, that would be a really simple gesture to make, a really uh, a really strong message to send, and a really important protection to provide. Um, that would be a good start. Uh, but like I said, there are also so many other issues which, after almost a decade of inertia from the coalition, except arguably on marriage equality, um, uh, remain undone. I mentioned blood donation before. Uh, countries comparable to ours, Canada, the UK, France, Netherlands, this is growing longer and longer, Germany, um, are all abandoning their old gay blood bans and putting in place individual risk assessment so that everyone's asked the same question when they give blood. Very simple stuff, working well. 
In Australia, no consideration. Including us in the census. It happens in other countries, Canada, the UK again. Um, it was a promise of the ALP. No evidence that that's been moved forward. Um, and protecting us from discrimination by faith-based organisations, um, increasingly it's happening at a state level. Uh, even, even if we're just talking about discrimination against students, which overwhelmingly Australians believe is wrong, um, nothing. And of course, just I, harking back, Rodney, to that Fair Work Amendment, this job summit would have been the perfect place to announce that amendment. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, what can we say? I mean, I'm probably sounding uh, unnecessarily um, frustrated and uh, despondent about the situation. And, and I mean, I am those things. But uh, it's important to stress that there are solutions. There always are solutions. Uh, and one solution that we need to be pursuing is to continue to um, uh, work with uh, the crossbenchers, the Teals, the Greens, the Lambie, uh, you know, Jackie Lambie and um, Tammy Turrell uh, and other crossbenchers um, to raise these issues in Parliament as often as possible, to put up amendments when, when, when it looks like there's legislation that's relevant, like, say, with the human rights uh, appointment of human rights commissioners that, that uh, is going through Parliament now. Whatever the legislation is, uh, whenever the opportunities are there, to actually raise LGBTIQA plus issues. And Rodney, I gather, just just to focus on on your feeling despondent, I gather government MPs aren't reaching out to Just Equal and providing assurances. I mean, you've got great networks to MPs. It doesn't sound like you're hearing the right noises and the right comments in private. Well, we aren't hearing anything. (laughs) Um, uh, There's not much communication. I mean, we reach out to them. Um, and they're polite and friendly, but there's no, there's, and, you know, we raise all of these issues, um, but there's no positive responses. Well, and, and uh, you know, like I said, there are issues across across the board, um, so many different areas where we need to be moving forward. Um, uh, trans Medicare, that's another one. Um, that is dealt with in other countries. Health uh, healthcare provision that ensures that trans people aren't out of pocket when they undergo affirmative treatments. Um, that should have been done years ago. Uh, and we raised that again and again, and there's no response. Um, it does feel very frustrating um, to be dealing with a federal Labor government that doesn't seem to care. But... Like I said, I don't want to give people the impression that everything is lost. Um, There are still other levers that, as a community, we can pull to try and exercise influence at a federal level. And that includes the lobbying the other members I mentioned before, um, and also lobbying members of the uh, opposition, of the coalition, who uh, continue to support our our rights. If they can raise these issues together with the crossbenchers and the Greens, and potentially even get together to introduce their own legislation uh, in the Senate, for instance, um, then that puts pressure on the government to wake out, wake up from its sort of um, its stupor, <laughs> its its indifference to our community, um, and realise that it has to actually do something. If you look at the election result, it's pretty clear.
clear that not only did the uh, did the coalition lose votes in inner city electorates, that was obvious, but so did Labor. Um, and there was a shift from Labor to the Greens and to the Independents. Uh, if Labor has any, if wants any chance of winning back those votes, it needs to be able to show that it has a good record, you know, after the current three-year term, a good record of LGBTIQA plus reform after a decade of that not happening under the coalition. Um, at the moment, it's not going down that path. But our work is to show Labor that where it matters most in terms of votes, um, that uh, it can't get away with this kind of indifference. It has to act. Um, and that will be our job in the coming months. Romney Croom, always great to chat with you on 3CR. Thanks for your time, Nasavo. Thanks, James. Rodney Croom there from Just Equal. You are on In Your Face on 3CR and here are the Eurogliders.
the Eurogliders there. Can't wait to see you. Joined by community activist and Bent TV presenter Ricky Spencer. Ricky, welcome back to the show. Hello, darling. It's always great to chat with you, and I'm just kind of always a bit overwhelmed and just really impressed with all of the things that you get up to in between, you know, our chats. What have you got to tell us? Oh, well, let me start. I've got the information about Trans Voices, which is so important. It's this great support space that uh, quite a few of us have got together under the support of um, Pride in Action with um, our sort of coordinator, Austin, who is sort of helping us put a voice to get a place at the table with politicians um, all around, um, elected politicians around Victoria, so that they can kind of hear exactly some of our lived experiences that we have had to deal with in terms of oppression, in terms of access to work, education, health, and other spaces, which... I think it's so important. And the the whole premise is to develop a, a kind of a linkage where we can talk to people, they hear our stories, and they come and understand the importance of, you know, building an allyship with our community. Yeah, Trans Voices met with our Labor Senator, Jess Walsh, this week. Uh, what mm. issues did you raise with the Senator? Well, there was quite a... There was about Four of us, um, I think. I'm, you know, I'm bad with maths, <laughs> but four or five of us. And I, I'll like what we all spoke about different important aspects that impact our lives. So we spoke to her about the importance of access to workspaces, um, and I gave her the example of myself being, you know, an openly transgender. Uh, teacher unable to get work in Victoria still, but um, and it was it was more about the importance of hey senator, these are the situations we face, the and you know how can you support us and understand that you know and and why we need to kind of be out there, you know we're needing these uh, uh, support uh, people to really understand to the crux of the issue. The other one, of course, we raised was about access to health. And again, it's about, you know, the, the arguments that are going around about, you know, lately we've heard about Medicare and birthing parents that people some people objected to. And we explained the importance that it's not about exclusion. It's about inclusion. It's about giving more opportunities and allowing more people to feel validated, especially when it comes to health care. Because, you know, we all, some of us are parents to have children, and, you know, we identify as trans, uh, gender and diverse, and all we really want is just to be able to have our demographics count in health data. Because, as you know, James, uh, one of my areas that I'm involved with now, which is um, with the Royal Melbourne Hospital and St Vincent's Hospital, is I'm on the consumer health panel. So in both spaces, you know, we look at things like LGBTIQ representation in health numbers. And I can tell you that in Victoria, in some hospitals, uh, they're only just now considering looking at uh, keeping stats of people who identify as transgender and gender uh, diverse. You know, prior to last year, the only statistics that were kept were male and female. And of course, you know, that doesn't cover 
uh, most of our people who identify as genderqueer. So it's about understanding that there's sentences to explain. We explain to her in everyday language, these are the things that we want to kind of consider. And it's not about this is what we're demanding. It's about having a dialogue. It's about coming together. We all talk about things that impact our lives. Most importantly, it's about, well, how can we work together? How can we create a, a healthy environment where we can meet uh, on a regular basis and so that when things happen in Parliament, you know, we can reduce the times that people will, you know, have, you know, unhealthy conversations, you know, about trans in sports and steer away from the areas that really don't do anyone any good and create further harm. So it's really about, in that way, also harm minimisation, where we really want to promote a positive way forward and a positive dialogue for action that we can do. Of course, the federal government recently removed birthing parents from Medicare forms. How did Senator Walsh Mm. react when you raised concerns about that? Look, she was really understanding and she really wants to work with us to address that. And, you know, I'm so impressed because, you know, I'm... I was. I think I've mentioned to you before on air is that you know although you know I, I, I politically I kind of put myself out there that I will work with any party, all parties, and that because I think it's important as a community that it's okay to have diverse political views, but it's important for us to have everybody to have its place at the table. That everybody's lives are important, especially trans and gender diverse communities. You know, and I'm again, you know working and representing those who are, you know, live disabilities, those that are in supported accommodation, those who are brother, boys and sister girls, communities that in the past, you know, have not been able to speak up or have not been heard. So I kind of want to really personalise these conversations, as do the other people who work. It's not just me, you know, the fantastic voices of Sally, you know, who used, you know, who was the original, um, the CEO of uh, Transgender Victoria and spoke about, you know, her hard work. Austin about, you know, his hard work. The, uh, and other people that, you know, their lived experience of trying to access health, affordable health. And the other one that, that's coming up now, and as you know, I'm heavily involved in with housing, you know, acting to see with people like ourselves when we try to rent a property and we don't have documentation. And, you know, James, you know, when I last went for my, you know, for the house that touch wood I'm in now, you know, I had to try and explain that I was transgender. And, you know, I went to have to go through so many hoops because they said, well, you don't have legal documents or your bank is in, in your dead na-. You know, well, they say dead name, but they say, how do you know it's you? And it's so hard, James, you know, and I just sort of relay that to... To the, to the senator that, you know, we really need to kind of... These are the things, the struggles that we go through and sometimes nobody hears us, you know. We're just forgotten, you know, and we really wanted by our experiences to raise that, you know, and as well as having access to healthcare. We said about COVID, we talked about, you know, the delays in our surgeries considered as elective. And so what is deemed elective, it always seems as though, oh, it's something that it's, it's, it's a wish list, you know, oh, we, you know, it's like fixing up a bit of something. But it's not. For a lot of us, it's dealing with that gender dysphoria, that, that uncomfortable 
um, part of our body that we just cannot identify with. And, you know, delaying the surgery for five months is hell for many people. So, Ricky, what undertakings specifically did Senator Walsh give to trans voices when she said she wants to work with you, especially, say, on the birthing parent issue, for example? Like, what did she commit to actually doing? To to meet regularly, uh, and she's committed to speaking more, with, I think, with Pride in Action and with Austin and setting up future meetings and with all of us to connect with her and to share documentation or any things that we're looking on for further um you know, for further kind of uh, getting together and speaking and, and, and really setting out these are the issues that we want to work with and help. And again, it's sort of like I, I mentioned to her that, you know, I want to highlight to her, especially in my research area, these are the areas, especially around access to, to health services and having access to things such as birthing parents to kind of explain in straightforward language, it's not about taking the rights of of cisgendered uh, women um, who who felt as though something was being taken. It's absolutely not. We still want to keep that for the, the, the form. It's just about giving the form a bit more breadth so that we can collect data so that, you know, as I am now involved in hospital health care, this is so important because we can then plan for better health access to our, our whole communities. And therefore, we can support because at the moment, transgender health as Indigenous um, uh, health, as uh, LGBTIQ health, are most underrepresented in hospital uh, care. Um, and, you know, we've got to address that. You know, these are the areas that the hospitals themselves have identified they need to do more work in. So this really does tie in with, you know, better health outcomes for the whole community. And we know that if we can target servicing better, then we reduce the amount of people coming in accessing health when they're more unwell and are using more services and resources. So we can better help people in preventative health care the beginning. We're going to save the whole community and the state more funds in the long run. So it's all about everybody working together, everybody having a voice. And I'm so happy that that, that Senator Walsh understands it and generally wants to meet regularly so that we can put positioning statements to her and then we can say these are the areas that we're concerned about. These And also co-design, you know, work with us. You know, we want to be part of the decision-making process because, you know, it's about with us, for us. You know, we can explain to our representations in our communities the best way moving forward. And, Ricky, hopefully she can actually advocate uh, for the trans community to other uh, MPs, especially ministers within the Albanese government. Absolutely. What we want is, you know, like, and my whole thing is like, you know, it's about let's all work together, you know. You know, and, and the thing about diversity, and we keep hearing this and we keep reading about it, the more diverse our community is and listening to different voices and different intersectionalities will allow us to be creative in solution-focused ways of addressing, you know, shortfalls in healthcare. And you know that if we can address preventatively healthcare in the beginning, it's going to be a lot more we can do a lot more with the resources that we have, especially in digital health, that we're moving more forward to. 
Um, this is so important. So I'm really positive and I feel, you know, in my life, I remember we were at that meeting and to be in a room with other people who are trans-affirming people, it felt powerful in a way that was like my community coming together to do something positive. And, you know, at 53, I always sometimes think, you know, am I too old? <laughs> you know, but then I think, you know what, I'm not. <laughs> and I think it's just wonderful, you know, James, there's all of us from different ages and working together, you know, there's no egos. It's all about us wanting the outcomes that we want to better our society. And we know, you know, if we work for our community, we know that other communities will benefit as well. Because, if you know, when you're trans, you have relationships, you have partners, you have extended families. So everybody wins in this um, space. So I'm so excited. <laughs> Ricky, always great to chat with you. Uh, trans Voices sounds like it's got a real pathway to talk to, to, to MPs and senators. Uh, who's next on your meeting list? Wow, you know, I, 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 because there's just so many people um, we've got lined up. We're going to be organising um, a, a chat with uh, Lydia Thorpe, uh, which because we want to talk about also, you know, uh, brother boys and sister girls and uh, the issues face, and to explain to her again um, the issues we're meeting. Uh, I'm just bad with names, <laughs> but there's a few other ministers that are, are coming up to up to space and I'll let you know as soon as I know um, next time. Awesome we, stuff, Ricky. Think, we are out of time, but it is great yeah, chat, no, um, great chatting with you. Um, yeah, keep up you the fight, keep up the activism, keep up oh, the advocacy. Absolutely, absolutely. And everybody out there, you know, you know, you can, everyone can make a change, you know, and just think positive and see what you can do for the community because everybody benefits. Ricky, love your work. Thanks heaps for chatting the Savo. Okay, thank you, James. The wonderful Ricky Spencer there. You are an in-your-face on 3CR.
Stewart and Barbara Gaskin there, Subterranean Homesick Blues. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James, joined by novelist Kevin Clare. Kevin, welcome back to the show. Hello, James. Nice to be back. It's always great to chat with you. I'm just, you know, enthralled by your prolificness and your dystopian works in particular. Your new novel is out, came out this week, Virtual Insanity. What's going on with robots in the book? It's quite extraordinary. Yeah, well, um, it's the sequel to Social Media Central. Um, so this is the second in the series, Virtual Insanity. It follows bisexual Taylor, who um, this time goes to Beta City because there is this, these augmented reality players who have lost touch with reality and they're going around shouting weird things like this would never happen in Sebastian's lair or you know the 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 flying nun is full of good deeds and sexual rewards you just just crazy stuff and terrorizing beta city but eventually robots come into it because AI is in in more control than you than you expect it sounds like you must have an absolute ball writing this. <laughs> Look, the, the funny thing is, um, Virtual Insanity and its predecessor uh, talk about the modern state of social media, and even Social Media Central, the first in the series, um, was relevant to when it was written. Um, but this time I just wanted to go further into the future and more dystopian and add robots, mainly because the plot twist in the first book, Social Media Central, actually happened in American politics before the book was released. And I was thinking, but hold on, this is dystopian. It's supposed to happen in the future, and this this has happened now. So when I wrote Virtual Insanity, the sequel, I thought, what can't happen in you know, in recent, in, in coming years, um, but it's still based on fear of algorithms controlling people's thought patterns. So you went more dystopian because the world is becoming more dystopian and we're kind of in a bubble a little bit in Australia, aren't we? Because it's pretty dystopian what's happening in Britain and America right now. Oh, yeah, and the, and the real fear that um, America may have a dictatorship in a few years, you just, you just don't know. Um, People there just don't understand what democracy is supposed to be and they're happy to get rid of it without thinking twice. 
and then you look at what's happening in Britain with, um, you know, it's meant to be democratic with this election of the new Prime oh, Minister, yeah. but of course there's been such a lag time and the country's kind of crumbling with the gas crisis and the energy crisis and, you know, numerous other crises that, you know, this supposed democratic process is actually undermining their democracy because nothing's happening. And without trying to get too political, bring it back to Australia and the leader of the opposition thought nothing about sending um, police into arrest journalists or whistleblowers or rip a, a perfectly nice family out of their country town and lock them up in detention overseas. So we are living in dystopian times, but what scares me is people are so like oblivious to it like they just don't oh yeah so this happened oh that happened to someone else but the whole thing about the stoke pin and looking back at history it happened to someone else it can happen to you yeah and it's almost as if you know something's going to go click around our necks pretty quickly and jolt us out of that complacency around this shift to you know a dystopian world yeah and, and you even look at the um that point system in china where people are watched continuously if they if they buy alcohol, their point system goes down. If, if, they, if they're good citizens because they're being watched all the time through facial recognition, then they get better rentals. They get better car hire deals. Um, you know, that, that's even a scary part of what, where we may be heading. So are more people reading dystopian novels at the moment? Do you find your book sales are going up? Now, that's an interesting thing. I, I mean, I mean, this book only came out this week, um, and it's only available on ebook at the moment, but will be a print edition um, in the coming weeks. But um, I, what I've found is more people are, are listening to audio books instead um, because it's just easier. One of I've had one of my books made into an audio book. I don't know yet how well it's selling, but I'm hearing a lot of people have turned to audio books just because it's easier because people have less time to just sit down and for the art of reading. So it sounds like people want someone to read them a story. Oh, it's not. It's, it takes you back to childhood. It'd be nice if they tucked you in as well. <laughs> Get, so, gave you a kiss goodnight. <laughs> so, Kevin, is your publisher really encouraging you, Five Star Press, really encouraging you? Uh, to write dystopian books, and what else can we expect? What else are you working on? Um, nine Star Press. Nine is, Star. Uh, sorry. Nine Star. Uh, yeah, well, Nine Star, Five Star. Nine Star Press is a queer press. It um, it, it publishes every genre, um, but the whole point is that the main character is part of the rainbow community. So. Um, it's, it's, they're based in Albuquerque, and I'm one of the uh, few Australian writers who who write for them. Um, look, not necessarily dystopian, but there are other science fiction books on that imprint. There, are, of course, are romance. There are uh, historical fiction. All sorts of um, all sorts of books in different genres, because a lot of times, especially in America. Um, and even here sometimes, if, if I say I write queer literature, people think I either write erotica or romance, which I don't. And I think a lot of people don't realise that there are publishers like Nine Star or Oddstroke Books or uh, quite a few others that are interested in all genres, especially as so many more people are writing these days too. 
So last time we chatted, you talked about how you really like to write in silence. Uh, Has your writing habits, have they changed at all? Yes. um, First off, I have to be alone when I write. And during the COVID years, I was stuck at home with my husband. So my writing output is far behind at the moment. I go to the library twice a week because uh, my husband Warren goes volunteering twice a week. And on those days, I go to the library and that's when I write. There's, you know, a big room where everyone plugs in and tunes out and works silently. <laughs> and um, and that's the only way I can continue my writing at the moment. And do you find you're more productive because you do have that regime that's very kind of set? It sounds very disciplined. Yeah, you have to be disciplined because it can be so easy not to be. And one of the problems that I sometimes have is a friend might end up crashing over on Sunday and that gets rid of my Monday writing day or or I have insomnia the night before a writing day and I'm totally stuffed. I can't really do much if I if I'm tired and writing. But it's important if you write to be regimented to actually have a plan and get it done. And most importantly, a plan where you're not just stealing an hour here, an hour there, a plan where you have many hours ahead of you, five hours or so, so that you get into your writing eventually, like you're right in the mode and nothing stops you and you're just typing away and you come out the other end and you've actually done a good slog of work. So how do you feel about some of the characters in Virtual Insanity? Is there any one character that you feel especially bonded to or or are kind of like horrified by or, you know, in love with? Like, tell us about that. Um, there is There is a female character called Hudson who is the one who has attitude. As I said, Taylor, the main character, is bisexual. And in both... Sit, um, First book, Social Media Central and Virtual Insanity, there's both a female and a male love interest. Hudson has got attitude, and even after sex, Taylor's not quite sure what that sex was about. Uh, now, just to clarify, I, there's no sex scenes in it, but sex is mentioned. Um, I, that's just me personally. I'd I, I have nothing against sex scenes, but I'm just bad at writing them, so I don't put them in. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Hudson's great because she also vapes this smoke that is not marijuana, but sometimes she goes into this wacky mode and everyone is just sized relief. They're not scared of her all of a sudden and she just that makes no sense and they're quite happy about that, even if it's just for a couple of minutes of relief before her attitude comes in again. Well, Virtual Insanity sounds like a fabulous book published by Nine Star Press. Uh, Kevin Clare, always great to chat with you on 3CR. Can't wait for your next novel. Okay, thanks very much, James. Good to be on the show again. Ditto. Cheers. The wonderful Kevin Clare there, fabulous author. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. But we are out of here. Jacob is up next with a Friday rave. Taking us out is Jamira Choir with Virtual Insanity, and we'll catch you next week on the show. Magic spells we'll be doing for us in our-
In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.